0: TV podcast, a podcast dedicated to all the canceled television shows of the horror, science fiction, and fantasy genres. I'm your host, Mister Seneca.
1: I am your host, Doctor Chris.
0: And we are still continuing our coverage of the Adams family. And today's episodes: Morticia, the breadwinner, and the Adams family, and the spaceman. But first, I have some information.
1: Do you have some information about outer space? <laughs>
0: No, I have some information on Charles Adams' second publication because we're going through the bibliography. No. Oh. Adams and Evil, 1947, uh features 17 cartoons uh uh and featuring the Adams family itself. I actually own this one. Uh the cover is a portrait with Wednesday no, sitting oh. on Daddy's shoulders and her octopus uh in her own on her own shoulder. It's pretty cute. Uh a quote I firmly believe that this is the best damn cartoon book to hit the market in years, and the advance sale is most encouraging. That's a quote from Random House's Surf. Uh The New Yorker magazine bought 3,500 advance copies of it and includes a foreword by Wolcott, Scott, Wolcott Gibbs, which was a writer for The New Yorker. There is actually a kind of an interesting story about uh, this, t- this book itself. There is once a script. Pause
1: the- real quick. Just uh, do you have an ability also to to keep an eye on your needle monitor your your the bouncing of the uh, the sound?
0: Uh, actually, I can't because that computer is on the uh, other side of the drum set.
1: Okay. Is there any way to turn that monitor around to look at you so you can see it? Uh,
0: yes, but I can't reach it.
1: Okay. Well, but you can at least see it then, right? Yes. Okay why don't you turn it so you can at least see it, even though you can't touch it, okay. but that way you can see if you're, if we're recording, and you're going into the red constantly, that's also a problem.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah. Alright.
1: Yeah, so just do that, because th- these are just some of the things I, I always have always having to keep an eye on when we're recording at the studio, uh-huh. is like, the the rays and pitches of our voices and then of course noticing if like, you know, if the recording's in the red a lot, that means the the recording's gonna be really loud and if it's too loud it's almost it's not even words anymore, it's noise. Okay. So just some stuff to keep an eye on. Multiple things that I've always gotta do over the last eleven years doing radio horror. Okay.
0: All right. It, right now we're kind of in the middle of the range of the of of the um
1: comet. That's fine. It wants to be in the green and the yellow. As long as it's in the green and the yellow, that then that's perfectly good. Okay. If it gets to the red too much, that's bad. Because then eventually, again, it just starts turning into nothing but noise. Okay. All right.
0: The New Yorker bought 3,500 advanced copies of it uh, and includes a foreword by Wolcott Scops, a writer for The New Yorker. Uh, this book actually inspired a couple things. Uh, there was once a script for a play based on this cartoon collection. Uh, it was made in 1961, one year before the aboriginal dolls, and three years before the TV show. Um, and the author, Richie Pugh, he actually named the kids Rack and Ruin, and the last name of the family was actually Monster. So it was more like a monsterish type of family. No. Uh, yeah. The play actually never went anywhere, although the family did have like uh, a marijuana wreath on the front door. It's pretty cool. Uh-huh. Pretty cool, but uh, I heard the play itself was pretty bad, according to uh, biographer Linda Davis in *A Cartoon's Life*.
1: I would, whenever uh, whenever Morticia smokes, I always think she's probably going to be lighting up some doobies. Some
0: doobies, yeah. (laughs) Was that time of era, you know? Um,
1: The sixties, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: So uh, inside the book, there's uh, 24 of the family cartoons, some with Fester alone and some with uh, Pugsley alone. Uh, So at this time in Charles Adams' life, um, so in January 1943, he entered the Army, did a three-year stint there, and then married Barbara Day. Uh, In 1945, they bought a 48-acre farm near me, actually, in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Uh, They spent their weekends uh, with his uh, BFF, Sam Cobain, and John O'Hara. So during the 1940s, the New Yorker adopted a contract system for its favorite artists. The New Yorker got first option and set the fee when accepted. Uh, ha- also, uh, qu- uh, quantity bonuses as well. Adams was a triple-A artist, and there's only one other, uh, Mary Petty. Uh, the Charles Adams BFF Sam Colbein was only a level-A artist. Uh, Charles Adams rarely did topical cartoons, opting to go with classic evergreen content, uh, so he really didn't do any of the you know, much wartime comics. Um, his wartime experience never really played out. Uh, inside are eight cartoons featuring African tribal characters. So I have to give a little bit of explanation here because at that time of the 1940s, illustrations of black people were stereotyped and insensitive, like really, like they were. I don't complain about the racial art like this because while in real life, Charles Adams admired black women, he just didn't have that much interaction. Uh, things were still segregated at that time. So you could say that these tribal cartoons are racially insensitive, and the jokes are all about cannibalism or witch doctors. Although he did draw some Native American cartoons, the African ones were more popular. The themes of cannibalism and voodoo he could do, and so he went there. Um, you have to admit that The New Yorker is kind of a white audience publication, so it was slow to change to being more culturally sensitive. So you'll see back in the in the 19 19- 50s and into the 60s, all of those styles of cartoons, the racial stereotypes started actually leaving The New Yorker. And That's my story for today.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Why don't you go start with the episode?
0: (laughs) Yes. Uh, Morticia the Breadwinner originally aired March 26, 1965. Morticia and Fester overhear Gomez on the phone with his broker. Hearing the words broke, penniless, and wiped out, They believe Gomez is financially ruined, not realizing he's merely discussing the misfortunes of others before launching into a secret plan to buy his own railroad as a surprise to Morticia. Morticia rallies the rest of the family to figure out ways to earn money and help Gomez. Grandmama prepares to be a beauty stylist. Fester forms an escort service with Lurch. The kids sell drinks at a sidewalk stand. Henbane. uh, While Morticia offers fencing and tango lessons. None of these amount to much. Finally, Morticia comes upon some forgotten railroad stock she owns, the very thing that Gomez secretly seeks, which ends up being a crazy bidding war over the phone with Gomez's frazzled broker caught in the middle. But, uh...
1: Yes. I was hoping that Morticia was going to go out in the real world and get a job.
0: Yes, that would be a more Munsters thing to do. <laughs> and I think they actually did that one. But, uh, no... All of her all of her occupations were inside the house. This one is an interesting episode because there's just so many misunderstandings between the family members, and this is continuing source of comedy throughout this series uh, that Gomez wants to buy a railroad because he wants to wreck it. No one is actually telling anyone really what's kind of going on.
1: <laughs> yeah, a uh, little bit of miscommunication in the Adams family.
0: yes. Yeah. Uh, and, And Morticia tries to get him to open up about it, but there's really nothing to open up about. So Gomez is kind of, you know, being himself and, you know, buying things and spending money and, you know, investing in stuff and watching the stock market. So this is this episode takes place over two days.
1: Fester says he's too proud and lazy to work.
0: I guess that job at the insurance company just wasn't his cup of tea.
1: It would have been funny if they had referenced that, too.
0: I know, I know! <laughs> they did it, though. <laughs> Missed opportunity.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So, in uh, when and Pugsley's Henbane drink stand, they serve Henbane on the rocks, and they're actually serving it on pebbles.
1: Which is, I guess, where they think that you're supposed to do, because that's what they say on the rocks, but the rocks are actually, um... Uh, is actually ice.
0: Ice cubes, yeah. Uh... One of of the moments that I really enjoyed was that uh, Morticia and Gomez are dancing and Fester asks to cut in and uh, cuts in just to dance with Gomez. I thought that was kind of cute. When uh, Gomez is, you know, Fester mentions about like talking about finances with Morticia and Gomez is like, why should I bother her pretty little head with a thing like that? That was a little condescending.
1: Uh, how many uh thinks gomez is uh, is broke and um after he loses a hundred thousand shares or no he wants to buy a hundred thousand shares and she's overhearing like the wrong parts of the of the conversation and it's very much like an episode of three's company yes Yes. maybe the writers of three's company watched this episode before they wrote well every season of three's company
0: i think you got your timelines wrong there (laughs) this would be the predecessor
1: that's what I mean. Maybe the maybe the writers of Three's Company oh, watched this episode and then wrote gotcha. every season of Three's Company.
0: <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> um, we also run into the Adam's Law in this one, where, you know, otherwise uh, known as how to slit your competitor's throat without getting blood on his necktie.
1: What is henbane?
0: Henbane is an herb. Uh, it's... It has, like, some spiritual properties, uh, a couple of medicinal properties, but it's not really a common one. But you hear it a lot in spell work and, um, you know, any sort of stereotypical witchy stuff. I've per- I've personally never used henbane in a spell, but, you know, it's kind of stereotyped that way.
1: What type of spells would you use henbane in?
0: Uh, henbane uh, could be used in a variety of spells. Uh, Protection is very popular. Um, let's see. What else here? I have some notes. Uh, let's see. One sec. You might have to What's
1: funny it. is that this is one of the few episodes on IMDb that IMDb does not have a picture for. They just use the DVD artwork. Oh, really? Yeah, they don't have a picture for the episode. Like in the chimp episode, they have the chimp or the spaceman. They have the, the guys that, you know, stop by. Huh. The broker in the episode is Mr. uh, Bluker, uh who, they're, who Morticia calls, whatever, for help and advice. Best known for being um, on in the Batman movie, he was uh, Vice Admiral Fang Shelley's, and he was in The Nutty Professor. Huh, interesting. Okay. He's the guy, if you saw the Batman movie, that the uh, Joker steals the submarine from.
0: Alright, alright. I got you there. Henbane. Bane. Um, medicinally, henbane can be used for uh, toothaches, asthma, cough, stomach pain. It's uh, used as an analgesic and a sedative and has slight narcotic properties. So things having to do with protection and health and, uh, you know, relief of ailments. You know, it's kind of like an overall generalized herb. So the the part of the Adams law is that the first nine offers you refuse, but the 10th one you take. And uh, the 10th offer was actually one million dollars.
1: <laughs> a million
0: dollars. Yes. <laughs> um, when she actually tells Gomez that she made a million dollars today, he just kind of dismisses it. It's like, oh, that's nice and then starts talking about his news i was like oh that's uh, that's kind of lame you know she had really exciting news but gomez being the stand up guy that he is he actually uh writes the check to her for that 1 million dollars so that's pretty cool 1 million in 1965 uh was about let's see here 1 million uh, it's like an 8.1 decimal, so that's um, $8,100,220 in today's money. You can pretty much take it 8.1 times whatever the money for the inflation generalized for 1964.
1: When the stockbroker says he lost the stock, uh, Gomez suggests putting an ad in the lost and found.
0: <laughs> yes. For for as a at as Gomez is with kind of his money. Uh, there's a lot of things he just doesn't get. He enjoys losing money. We don't really see him gain a lot of money, but you know that he does. And, um, yeah, things like putting an ad in for the lost and found, or, or calling back and you know calling all the Mrs. Smiths in the phone book. To...
1: Ooh, bless
0: you. Thank you. Uh, there's just some things that the Adamses just really don't get about society, so. <laughs>
1: uh, great Shades of Hades. <laughs> Reminds me of Great Shades of Elvis uh, or great, uh, great Caesar's Ghost. Great, great Caesar's something, Ghost, yeah. Great Caesar's Ghost or Great Shades of Elvis, something that Perry White would say in Superman. Great um, Caesar's Ghost, yeah. Great Caesar's Ghost. <laughs> Whoever gets this interview will be like, God talking to... Mo- Moses talking to God. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: and and in this episode, Thing has the ability to make instant wine. That's pretty cool. Instant wine. Just hands him a bunch of grapes and he makes instant wine. Wish I had a Thing. <laughs> and that's, re- that's practically all the notes I have for this episode.
1: Yeah, not a whole heck of a lot. What's the name of the swamp that he wants to buy?
0: It's the... Uh, that's uh, what's it, Big Swamp and Southern Railway.
1: Big Swamp, Southern Railway. Okay, got it. turns
0: out that the railroad just kind of sunk into the swamp, and so he doesn't actually have the railroad to play with, but he gave a million dollars to his wife uh, through the sale.
1: Gotcha. All right, I'm just going to answer this email real quick, and then we'll go right to the next episode. So um, pause real quick. Yep. And we'll be back with the Dead TV podcast in just a few moments. Okay. And we're back with the Dead TV podcast with the next episode of The Addams Family, which I... Addams episode, uh,
0: season one, episode 27, Addams Family and the Spaceman. Pugsley's late night missile launches cause no less than 14 sighting calls to the Bureau of Mysterious Space Objects, the MSO. The Adamses are about to leave for a combined midnight picnic and snail hunt when they hear the, an announcement of unknown flying objects in their area. Thinking there might be Martians about, they happily decide to tarry and see where investigators from the MSO converge upon the Adams estate with the same idea. The two parties meet, each deciding that the other is from another world. This is another episode with uh, Cousin It.
1: Mmm. Yes. Uh, This is the returner, I guess, for Cousin It, because he was only in the last one when Cousin It comes to visit.
0: Yes. Uh, Cousin It's actually in a lot of episodes in uh, Season 2. Um... But in this one, like he actually uh shows his affinity for uh the tuning sounds of the radio and he starts dancing to the tuning sounds. Mm. That's kinda interesting.
1: One of the actors in the episode, Jimmy Cross, which I believe he plays one of the two um UFO inspector guys, uh uh did both the was on both the Adams family as a guest spot and the Munsters. Tim Herbert uh, happened to be on the Batman television show, and it was in the movie Soylent Green.
0: Wow, and then we also have uh, Vito Scotti, that he plays Professor Ulcher in this one, but we have seen him as Sam Picasso.
1: Oh, is that Picasso?
0: That is Sam Picasso, yeah.
1: Oh, neat.
0: Yeah, I love that actor.
1: Yeah, and it was in... uh... The Godfather and Get Shorty and Loaded a Weapon, which yeah. is a really funny <laughs> movie. Uh.
0: Uh, so, you know, the they live in the Cemetery Ridge District. Yeah. Cemetery Ridge District. Um, and uh, so the, the mysterious objects that people are seeing is basically like in the very beginning of the episode, we see that Pugsy is just firing these rockets out the upper floor window. But we find out that that time is actually midnight. So this kid is up and yet they made a comment that he needs to get up for school in the morning.
1: Okay, so by the way, the Cemetery Ridge District mm-hmm. was part of the Battle of Gettysburg. Really? Yeah, so the Adams family would be in Pennsylvania.
0: Well, that makes sense for Charles Adams' association with it.
1: Cuz Gettysburg was Pennsylvania, right? That, that is that's is true, yes. Yeah. Have you ever been to a historic Gettysburg?
0: been i went to valley forge i'm not oh sure I, went I, to, uh, I'm not sure. I went
1: to uh i went i stayed at, i went to camp for one month at valley forge oh you did yeah
0: it's a pretty dope place isn't it
1: <laughs> yeah i mean i went when i was 14 years old that was a long time ago but i stayed in the barracks they shot taps
0: oh okay
1: and we got to like you know they they showed us around they're like oh this is the room tom cruise gets killed in, and uh <laughs> Because Tom, because uh, for anyone not familiar with Taps, Taps was filmed at uh, Valley Forge. Is that, uh, but, is that
0: the West Point uh,
1: movie? Yeah, but I thought I thought they used Valley Forge.
0: I'm sure they did.
1: But, I mean, I thought they used Valley Forge in the movie. Like they, the movie's continuity it was Valley Forge. Yes. Does this mean the Adams family are in Pen- Gettysburg, Pennsylvania?
0: You know, I don't think so because there's other supporting evidence to say that it they're based out of California. Um, like that, uh, the Beatnik, you know, his registration for his motorcycle was in California and his dad came over right away, so.
1: But, if they're in Cemetery Ridge area, and according to the map, Cemetery Ridge is in the town of Gettysburg. Well,
0: yes, yes, but we are talking about something that, you know, they, you know, might have made it up for the show, not really considering that there was a real place.
1: Oh, pish posh.
0: Me all prickly, yes.
1: <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um. So, UFOs. <laughs> I forgot we got the UFOs, or sorry, MSOs, mysterious space objects. Space Maybe objects. they couldn't use UFOs, but uh, um, what what, what what do we have any information about UFOs, the X Files, and Mulder and Scully, and everything else?
0: You know, I didn't actually pull up any information regarding. If there was actually like a military space program that dealt with UFOs, because I thought
1: well, Mr. Russia Seneca, really you silly. clearly, Mr. Seneca, you clearly do not watch the news today. Have you seen what has been on the news the last uh, week? The uh, FBI has admitted to unidentified flying objects. Well, yeah, we always
0: knew that there were unidentified flying objects.
1: Did we? Okay. First of all, I'm so gonna I'm gonna, lay you, I'm gonna lay some uh, factoids down on you right now. Okay, do it. We're gonna possibly believe you. I'm sorry. You cannot possibly believe you're the only living creature in the entire galaxy living on this puny little planet. But you're not gonna be able to convince me that people have flown trillions of miles across space and back again every five minutes to harvest a fart to find out what's in our ass. Okay. <laughs> As Paul said in the movie Paul, what am I doing? doing <laughs> Harvesting farts? How much can you learn from an anus? <laughs> are you going to probe me? I... Why does everyone think I'm going to probe them?
0: <laughs> yes. I don't think that UFOs are here to probe our anus is. Um... Hey,
1: fuckholes. It's probing time. <laughs> it rolls his finger around. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But uh, seriously, okay, so the FBI recently, as of like right now, the FBI and the Navy have admitted to pilots seeing UFOs. This is the first time that the United States government has had a branch of the government, which is the Navy, the FBI, mm-hmm. openly admitting to something that they have denied for years. Yes, and where, this is happening right now place? in May This is happening right now in May of 2019, so depending on when you're listening to this podcast.
0: Yes. But hear me out. Now,
1: it it, it, And in the age we live in with the Trump administration, uh, no wonder, hey, no wonder he needs the Space Force. He needs the Space Force to stop the aliens from destroying us like in Independence Day.
0: You know, if he really thought that, he would tweet about it and, you know nothing is, there is no filter with him, so, you know, I don't think Trump actually took any information and believed it was real, or else he would be freaking out and tweeting about it, but, you know, hear me out, though, I've got, I've got a theory on the aliens, you know, is that their ships don't actually travel distance, they fold space, kind of like how, uh, you know, Event Horizon kind of describes space travel. It's just, like, the folding of space, and then, boop, you're there. So, these spaceships are really just kind of manipulating area instead of actually traveling distance, if that makes sense to you.
1: I still think that Trump knew about it all along, and that's why he's created the Space Force. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, we're living in the Twilight Zone, so who, who knows? Who knows?
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: It's turvy you know, lies are facts, facts are lies, you know. It, it's it's a crazy world. It's a crazy world.
1: Mhm. Mhm. Boulder was right all along. <laughs>
0: uh, so you know, these MSO officers, they they have this language that they think Martians actually speak. I, who come who would come up with that type of stuff? I don't think that any person would assume that an alien species would have the capacity for language like we do and would use phrases like abagaba this is ridiculous silly (laughs) (laughs) and their and their big worry but on both sides their big worry was that uh if if uh one false move and who knows we're slave labor on mars So both sides, both the MSO officers and the Adams family both say that exact same phrase because they're worried about being slave labor on Mars. And as you notice also in this episode, uh, it harkens back to the episode with uh, the Adams meet the VIPs because they do the exact same routine that they did with the VIPs. Uh, They sit them down in the love seat and then show them the ray gun, uh, demonstrate the ray gun, and then hand it to them, and then take it away. It's kind of the same type of thing that they did with them. Every time that these officers are trying to sneak away, you know, Lurch stops them, Thing stops them, Fester's head in a box stops them, and then Kitty Cat stops them. Uh, You know, when they're finally kind of rounded up, uh, they get placed in the stocks in the Iron Maiden, and then Gomez calls the MSO. You know, hilarity ensues when the professor, like, att- you gums the M's house and, uh, you know, sees it and st- starts talking that Martian language to try to match its gibberish. And he's just astounded by everything he sees, and he thinks the aliens have taken over the whole house. Uh, but sooner or later, you know, it gets said that there's a misunderstanding, all that.
1: It, it would be, uh, it, it, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Cousin It would be the person they think is the alien. Oh, for of course, sure. they look at the rest, they look at all the atoms. The only, the only disappointment I have in this episode is, uh, Gomez is in a bathing suit. Why don't we get Morticia in a bathing suit?
0: Yes, I know, but, you know, she has the dress that's, you know, various styles of the one dress, you know, that she wears for everything. You know, all the uh, special
1: events. Uh, yeah. Right. It would have been nice
0: for her to be in some sort of bathing attire, but, um, you know, she's a very formal lady.
1: When they see Pugsley's ray gun, they automatically think that, <laughs> that they're in trouble.
0: Yes. I mean, it, it has been responsible for at least one person dying.
1: Again, Morticia smoking is definitely probably where they get the uh, the scene we saw in the trailer for the animated movie, the spiders coming out from Morticia's, underneath Morti- Morticia's dress. Yes, yeah,
0: so she's got the power of combustion.
1: Mm. Morticia is skinnier than olive oil in that animated trailer.
0: <laughs> it is. kind of sickening to me.
1: It's a little. It's a little strange. Yeah. Um. That a woman could could uh, a woman um uh, animated that way could have uh, have children. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, th- that animation is so stick thin. I I do not like the yeah the kind of the, the nature of the 3D animation, but. I have to look at it compared with the rest of the world that it's creating.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's still really odd. I posted recently on the uh, Dead TV t- podcast podcast Facebook page uh, pictures from the upcoming toys that they're, they're releasing. Because, of course, they're going to be toys. Yes. I went to uh, McDonald's for a coffee because their coffees were a dollar. Some areas they still are. And co- McDonald's coffee is pretty good. But I really don't eat McDonald's food. Mm-hmm. But they have my Life of Pets too there for toys for Happy Meal Tie uh-huh. and I'm hoping that they have Adam's family McDonald's toys. Oh. Because it, they they've had all of the Minion movies and they've had my Life of Pets and it's the same company.
0: You know, if they do, I am going there every three days to check <laughs> to see if they have a new toy and then I'll hit a freaking collection because I used to be that crazy about collecting. <laughs>
1: I thought you would. Yeah. I thought you would. No. Yeah, every time I would be getting a coffee. Yeah, because I think they change the toys out every three or four days. Three days. Yeah. So every three days I will go there and get the new toy with a cup of coffee. <laughs> Again, I'm not. I, I I First of all, I've cut a lot of like fast food out of my diet. But McDonald's food is just kind of horse garbage.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I no argument there. But uh, yeah, if they do come out with those toys, I will go regularly just to collect the whole set because I'm kind of like that. <laughs> uh, so in this in this episode, uh Gomez actually says that uh the the newspaper says that it'll be three months and they're going to send a mission to Mars. And at the time of this uh episode airing, people hadn't even gone to the moon. So three months to being on Mars that's quite optimistic, considering we have yet to actually go to Mars.
1: Except for that movie, *Mission to Mars*,
0: or *The Martian*, it had
1: stuff like that. Well, yeah, I'm sorry, not *Enemy Mission to Mars*. *Mission to Mars* is garbage, but *The Martian* had went into great detail about how that whole how that process would work. Yes. Yeah. And it's just it's just a matter of like they think we can do it. It's just a matter of like the budget and um, Design. you know, making making sure that the 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 ship can get there and back. You know what I mean? That's that's the big thing. Obviously, it's just we don't want to strand somebody on Mars. No, no. No, which is what happened in the movie. Yeah. But um, they... Uh, He's got to science they, the
0: shit out of this.
1: Yeah, yeah with the potato. That's the <laughs> best part, I think. That is the best part. Uh,
0: so at the end of the episode, they actually get a letter from the MSO saying that, uh, you know, thank you now that they've gotten a, a, their false alarm. Help them to test Plan X you know, with that stock footage of airplanes. And, uh, you know, so the nation is now ready for alien invasion. It's like, oh, that's how—that's lovely. Oh, They get letters a lot from people. <laughs> and I think that's about all my notes for this episode.
1: Yeah, mine too. The bombing squad that is summoned by the Air Force <laughs> is a bit ridiculous with its, uh, you know, stock footage and everything. Yeah,
0: the stock footage is like, I don't know how many planes, I didn't count them, but there's a lot of planes going through on that stock footage. Like, And it's supposed to be as if the planes are going right over their house, ready to attack. Kind of scary if that was in real life, but, uh, you know, it's stock footage. <laughs> Nothing's is scary when it's in part of stock footage. All right, so I I think that's really the episode. No, it's, you know, do you have anything else, Dr. Chris? Curious,
1: do you think Lurch would ever actually hurt anybody, despite how intimidating he looks?
0: I don't think so. Uh, Usually bigger fellows like that are the biggest teddy bears you'd meet, because they have gone through their entire life kind of being a, a bull in a china shop, so they're just kind of extra gentle with people and things. In my experience, that's how it is.
1: Well, that's pretty much all the notes I have as well for the Dead TV podcast for this uh, two episodes of The Adams Family. Quick side note on something scientific. On IMDb, it's uh, Gomez says, Uranus transits Jupiter. However, the transit would be impossible to see from uh, anywhere on the planet Earth. Okay. I don't know what he means by that, transits Jupiter. Uh,
0: you know, I have an astrologer friend that I could ask this to, but... Transits, it means that it either crosses over the path, I think, you know, or or it's, it has something to do with the alignment uh, and the movement through the paths. But don't quote me on that because I'm not an astrologer.
1: Mm, gotcha. Okay. Uh, You can find us on the Dead TV podcast on Facebook or you could find us on
0: Twitter at
1: uh, Chris DSAV and Elegantly Kiki. And you can send us an email at thatradiohorror at gmail.com or send us uh, – you can also leave a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play for us. Have a good night, everybody. Good night.